The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Kayla. So when I started to recognize that I was showing up in a false way, when I was looking happy, but I really was not, when I was looking like I wasn't angry, but I was angry, a lot of stuff came out. It's almost like a junk drawer in the kitchen that you've been stuffing with junk for your whole life. And pretty soon, like nothing's fitting in the junk drawer anymore and you can't find anything. And you feel like, you know, you don't even want to open that drawer. It's so scary. And then finally, you just take the drawer and you dump it on top of the kitchen counter. And you look through all the bits and bots and it's ugly. And then that horrible, like, you know, candy bar that has now become moldy, you know, you, you deal with the thing that you haven't dealt with. And for me, it was ugly. I had childhood trauma that I pretended I didn't. I had cultivated a mask that looked really, really socially acceptable. And it was a big fat lie. Well, this is a very important topic and it's very dear to me because as you hear later on, I'm trying to get a lot more mindful. And also we hope to stop worrying as much. And this is about mindfulness and worry and direct experience. So I know you'll love my dear friend, Kayla, who talks about this from her open nester perspective and her own life and her teaching. Let's hear it from Kayla. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, my dear friend, Kayla. How are you today? I'm well, Tessa. Thank you for inviting me. So Kayla and I just did one minute meditation because, I, and I have not done that at the beginning of any of my interviews. And Kayla has that effect on me. So I just want to just witness and note that because I'm in the attempt of my life to slow down. As many of you probably have heard on my podcast, I can get very excited and I have to start talking fast. So this is always good. And the reason Kayla does this is that she teaches a lot of mindfulness all the time and did her MBSR, Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction. And I met her when I was doing my master's with her in consciousness and mindfulness. We did a lot of that kind of training together and she's taken it to such a deep level. My wise friend. So we're going to talk about this stage of life and what you do to help people kind of look at themselves with what I like to call like more direct experience. <laughs> so, uh, and also I, I actually had said to you that um, Amir and some of the people in my life have more of a DNA for worry. Uh, I remember hearing a podcast by Sylvia Borstein who brought meditation and Buddhism and mindfulness before it was scientific to the United States. And she can also be set off her equilibrium because she'll say, it's just that worry gene. It's in my DNA. I have to just look at it and say, hello. So let's talk about what we do at this, as we have more time in our lives to look at our lives. Well, I think one of the key, first, thank you for inviting me. I'm so proud of you and the work that you've done since we've graduated. And I always knew that something big and bright and bold 
was about to happen when I was around you. And uh, here it is. <laughs> so what I'll say about this time in life, because I think that's a really interesting place to begin. Time, you know, is not really what we think it is. Time is a construction of our mind. And the reality is all we ever have is now, the ever-present now. There's no such thing as a past. There's no such thing as a future. It's always whenever we experience anything, it's in the now. So I think one of the challenges with just our minds, our biology, and our Western culture of more is better is that we don't have a lot of opportunity to simply be. We're so trained and conditioned to do and to live in time and to have those goals that we're always working towards that we don't really experience directly almost anything. Because the minute we're eating that one brownie, we're thinking about the next one or we're thinking that maybe we shouldn't be eating this one. Our minds are always busy in the past or the future. When you start to reflect on your own mortality, you start to reflect on bigger questions, which often happens at midlife, you recognize that the direct experience is actually all there ever is. So there's the way our mind can tell us about something. Like, let's say, we'll just say sex because that's a hot topic on your show. <laughs> you can read a lot about sex. You can talk a lot about sex, um, think a lot about sex, watch it on movies or the internet. But even experiencing sex, experiencing love, experiencing the actual moment of it, is ineffable. It's not a it's not conceptual. And so our capacity to come into being as we are moving through our day is such a delight. It's such a liberation because we actually then experience our life with fresh eyes with a heart center instead of a head center. So our minds are so incredibly busy and anxiety is part of that. It gets the mind going and the mind then keeps the anxiety going. And the reality is a anxious feeling will really only last about 90 seconds if we let it just arise in the body and then go on its way. But we keep it going with our thoughts about it. So that's kind of what I help facilitate people is to notice their process of, as they're living, what is their mind doing? How much do they believe their thoughts? And could they experiment with letting go of the narrative that's happening moment to moment and just actually being in their life, in their experience, without knowing, no expectation, no um, forcing an outcome on it, um, no questioning it, just being with it. So 
that's kind of the work that I try to do with people who are actually wanting it because not everybody act, wants it. Not everybody wants to slow down and go deeper and that's fine. But when you're ready to, let's say, awaken, you will awaken. You'll seek out meditation, mindfulness, deeper practices, um, yoga. And sometimes or often, in at least my case, and I know in many, is that sometimes what arises is actually resistance and, and a hurdle and some pain when you slow down. And that's why I think a lot of us kind of just, eh, I'm, I'm doing just fine, you know, because it, it's it's a nuanced thing to say, how do I have this direct experience that's not about right, wrong, good or bad? We spend so much time making that those evaluations in our minds from what you, know, you and I had learned as well. So rather that kind of getting into our bodies. How does it really feel right now? What's the direct experience? And I think that that helps me so much shift. So as I got over some of the hurdles and still always have setbacks of my noisy brain when I sit to meditate and and judge myself and others and good, bad, good, bad. It's so right, wrong, right, wrong, good, bad. It's like such a such a constant feeling that <laughs> to, to come back to, right? Well, it's baked in. So it's baked into our brain and it's not our fault. It's just our biology. We're wired for survival, not reality. So when something startles us, you know, uh, let's say we look at our cell phone, it's not a saber toothed tiger. It's just our mother in law, but we are reacting as if it's a saber toothed tiger with all the thoughts and worries about it. Not our fault, our programming. So the way that we work with mindfulness practice is, and you're not going to do this until you're probably in a very painful place, because who really wants to feel hard things? You know, nobody really wants to sit and feel discomfort, which is why actually our mind gets so busy. It's a way to distract from feeling. All addictions begin with not wanting to feel, wanting to distract, get away from the feeling, get away from the body, which creates fractures, our insides. So it's the, and it's also the the you know the fight flight freeze food that's, fuck. That's, I remember you telling me all this, right? Like the yeah. five Fs. There more than just three. All of those things are really our distractions. They're just our distractions. But there are survival methods. There are coping methods. So we, we want to respect that. That's our ego. And we want to respect our ego because we can, can never really get rid of it. We can't separate. If you can consider awakening as everything, everywhere, all the time. So the minute we push something away, like, oh, I don't like that monkey mind, or I don't like that judgy mind, we're back in separation again. So this is the counterintuitive kind of magical process of meditation, which is something hard is arising in me. I feel the urge to get away from it. And I don't. I stay. So it's a practice of staying, cultivating a capacity to stay with discomfort. How incredibly unfortunate for those of us who find ourselves meditating to be blissed out <laughs> because it's actually 
baked in that you're going to feel the discomfort that you've been running from. But here's the thing. Once you start to feel it and realize it's not a saber-toothed tiger, it's not going to eat you alive. It's just an uncomfortable feeling in the body that happens in all human beings. We all have this underlying sense of, I want ground. I want stability. I want something that's going to stay. We're always looking for certainty. That's our fundamental nature of sentient beings. And we can be with that too. So worry, for example. Worry. All worry is, is the mind trying to figure something out that's not figure outable. Because the mind job is to figure things out, just like the stomach's job is to digest food. And the liver's job is to process waste. The mind's job is to figure things out. So who are we when we are not believing our thoughts? So if I could look over your head, and for people who can't see me, I'm moving my hands around in circles around your head. If I could see your head and you could see my head, if you could see thoughts, it would look like this, which is like, the heart's beating, the stomach is digesting, and the mind's doing this because that's its job. It's not its fault. So when we do have the worry bug come up, the key is to notice it. Worry is arising in me. I see you. And the minute you bring awareness and you shine the light on what was unconscious, it changes it. It may not take it away. It, it just changes it enough so it's not in charge. Mm, exactly. Yes. So who's driving the bus? Is it my worried mind or is it my greater sense of self that can see my worried mind and offer comfort? So the answer to everything in mindfulness meditation is whatever's happening, add nurturance. Add nurturance. Add love, add playfulness. Worried mind, you can correct yourself. You can put on your choke collar and say, don't do that anymore. Stop worrying, stop it. That makes it bigger. Whatever we resist persists and gets bigger. I like the analogy of a basketball that we hold under the water, the things we don't like about ourselves. We don't like our worrying. We don't like the way that we're jealous. We don't like the way that we're always afraid something bad's about to happen. And we take that basketball and we hold it under the water. And we do that our whole life because when we're children, we're always told, we don't feel that, feel this. You don't, you shouldn't, you should. So we've got this basketball we've been holding down our whole life, always trying to come up with meditation or with awareness training, we're going to bring the basketball up and say, let me see you. That's scary, but it's profoundly transformational because now we're no longer in resistance to anything. We have come into an integrative whole place with ourselves. So it's and not driving our life. It's not driving and it's bringing awareness. And sometimes you can't love it right that moment because it's scary. And sometimes you can't, but we can sometimes play with it. So you know how I love play. So 
so this, you know, if you could say, okay, I, I'm going to play with you basketball. Like, I like that analogy because it's like, okay, let's see what you can do. Like, and try to get, not get so attached to it. Like keeping that skin so close, like you used to say, like a Clementine, like let it kind of open up like those Clementines that you can peel easily, like give a little space. And also, I so remember one of the things that you taught about instead of being on a train that we have to get in that direction. And you said, like, how about if you were like a ship and and, you know, sometimes there were drunk sailors and you just couldn't sail that next day. You know, like I love that analogy. Like, how do we let things become our life force without making them go somewhere <laughs> in particular? <laughs> it's it's the new mind. The new mind is able to hold the contradiction and not lock it down into a particle. So the sailboat analogy is that you have an intention, you set your course somewhere out there in the distance, you have an intention, but you're not holding it with a vice grip. Like it's a train that's going to go from here to there with four stops in the middle and that's how it is. It's more like a sailboat where you can see in the distance where you'd like to go. But today the wind means you have to go way over there in this other direction. Right. It, that's the way the wind's going to catch in my sail. So now here I am over here. It's a new moment. My goal looks a little different from over here. Maybe oh. it, I adjust it. So it's it's got, think of it this way. In the In the springtime, they come out to the fields, the football fields, and they aerate them. They put air into the fields to get them ready for seeds. They plant seeds and nutrition. And, and what happens is the air gets into the grass and the seeds get in and it gets bigger and grows better. We are aerating our ego. We're not going to get rid of our ego, but it's like we put little holes in it. And we say, okay, you can have the intention that that's your goal. But what if I wasn't 100% certain that that was my goal? What if I let the mystery in a little bit and go with the flow of life? Because right now the, the wind is coming up this way, which means I can't go directly at my destination. I have to go this way. So I willingly will go because it's like, do I want to go downstream or upstream? I want to go with the flow of life in the moment, not force my way this way it's always going to be harder so i always think of it this way do i want to do the hard way or the harder way so what's give us an example in your life and i know if you could do it as this stage of life which do you want to just give us the logistics of that that you have two kids that how old are they and and you are at this stage of life of being able to move more to different places in the world actually right now you i'm talking to you in florida so, yeah so yeah. i have I have two kids that are um, 30 and 28. They have moved out. They live out West in Colorado and have wonderful lives of their own. And I was a stay-at-home mom for a lot of years. So I did experience very much the sense of loss when they were about to leave the house. Um, although I did do some work, they were my primary focus for most of their childhood. I came upon, once they were kind of uh, out of, just getting out of the house, I was noticing something shifting in me. Something wanted to grow. I can't explain it. All I knew is that I, I needed to discover what it was. I was attending Al-Anon at the time. So I've been a member of Al-Anon for 10 years or so. 
And I started to realize that there was something that was happening in these groups that was healing, that felt big inside me. And I wanted to know what it was that you didn't have to go to CVS to be healed. I was very curious about what happens in the spaces of these rooms of open-hearted, loving people that creates healing and discovered the Graduate Institute and they had a consciousness studies program. And I knew that was for me. Now, everyone in my family thought I was mad. They said, you know, what's the name of this school? Why are you going there? But I don't, and I said, I don't really know why I'm going there. It just feels like the right thing because I want to continue to grow. Something in me wants to grow. And this, this, this feels right, completely not knowing what I was doing. My first degree was in chemistry. So I am very much a uh, rational thinker in a lot of ways. And then I worked in pharma for 10 years and thought that, you know, I was doing something good from the heart till I realized I wasn't. And then I went to art school while I was raising my kids and started to recognize that I have a big creative force in me that I never knew I did. It was almost like I was coming out of the closet creatively and feeling a little ashamed. But I knew like, I'm only 50. I'm only in my late 40s. Like, I have a big life ahead of me. What am I going to do? Who am I? So the consciousness studies program allowed me to get a sense of the great mystery, what it is, why it heals, how can I apply it to my own development, and who am I without the role of mother, wife, career person, who am I really? And simply asking that question just opened everything up for me and started to shift everything about who I thought I was and what I, I thought I was going to do with my life. So I discovered this new place where I'm helping people awaken from the trance of their mind. If you like this episode, you will also love other episodes on our website under the Listen tab. Scroll down to our spiritual and soulful category. So coming back to when you have to say to yourself, do you want to do it the hard way or make it harder? Is that how you ask yourself? Can you give us an example and how that's come up at this stage of your life? Because I do think that uh, there's so much, you know, I've heard that both ways with Buddhism, is it struggles, pain, pain, is, pain, pain is inevitable, but struggle is optional? Um, no, that's not no pain, is, pain, is, um, pain is pain, pain suffering is, pain. is optional. Pain is inevitable. So I will give you an example. I had an identity about who I was. I was very much a traditional 1950s kind of a wife and mother. I kind of was quiet and always sweet. I never really expressed myself. I never really uh, created a kerfluffle. I never liked conflict. And I thought these were all wonderful qualities. And I started to recognize that if I kept doing that, 
it would kill me. I didn't have a choice. That was the harder way was to keep pretending that I had no voice and that I had no identity beyond wife and mother. I recognized that I could keep doing that the harder way, but I probably wouldn't make it. My soul was dying. And I had kind of a um, face down moment. Okay, Kayla, how are we going to do this? Are we going to keep running from the monster, the basketball you've been holding underwater your whole life, all of the things that you never expressed, all of the comments you've never made? Are you going to hold that under the water for the rest of your life and starve your soul? Or are you going to look at the basketball and pull it up and see what you've been running from? And how's it going? How, how are you? How is it? How, so can you give us some thoughts about how that's trans, you know, transformed you, given you the opening to, be, to, to do more things, like a little more specific, like when she went to the basketball game up? So when I started to recognize that I was showing up in a false way, when I was looking happy, but I really was not. When I was looking like I wasn't angry, but I was angry. A lot of stuff came out. It's almost like a junk drawer in the kitchen that you've been stuffing with junk for your whole life. And pretty soon, like nothing's fitting in the junk drawer anymore and you can't find anything. And you feel like, you know, you don't even want to open that drawer. It's so scary. And then finally, you just take the drawer and you dump it on top of the kitchen counter. And you look through all the bits and bots and it's ugly. And then that horrible, like, you know, candy bar that has now become moldy. You know, you, you deal with the thing that you haven't dealt with. And for me, it was ugly. I had childhood trauma that I pretended I didn't. I had cultivated a mask that looked really, really socially acceptable. And it was a big fat lie, which was, I was always nice and I was always happy. Those were the acceptable emotions when I was growing up in my family and in the 1950s kind of role that I was playing. I was, you know, Mrs. Brady. And so, gosh, how scary was that when my, I started to do paintings of, you know, horrible red paintings of shame. And my family's like, what happened to mom? And everybody took 10 steps away from me because they were scared of me and I was scared of myself. But whatever it was in me needed to come out of me so I could actually work with it and see it. That was the hard way because there was no easy way. The only way out is through. So I had to go through each little bit and bot in my junk drawer that was holding under the water that I was pretending and start to one by one by one love myself for being able to survive because my inner world was so in so much pain that these were all my survival mechanisms. So I loved myself for doing this and protecting me and now recognizing it's time to let go of the old ways. It's almost like a butterfly, really. It's like the caterpillar who doesn't know what's happening, but suddenly they find themselves eating and eating and eating and now they're in a cocoon. And now their whole body just went into a liquid. Every single thing about a caterpillar goes into like a slurry 
except for one or two imaginal cells. I love this word, imaginal cells, that start to eat the body of the caterpillar goo. And then form, these imaginal cells start to form antennas and wings and feet and something that looks nothing like the caterpillar. And it felt like that for me because I could never have imagined what came out the other side. So your life feels what? I mean, how's, how is that manifesting? Itself? I feel liberated. I feel incredibly brave and capable in ways that I never did because I spent those years that I was smiling, I was really under the bed, I would say. Like, I was scared. I was showing up, but I wasn't there. Now I show up and I'm there. And I have something to say. And... I don't do it in a way that's nasty. I'm still very kind, but I don't de-self myself. So if I don't agree, I say simply, you know what? I don't agree. Here's what I think. That's, for me, complete liberation. Even though a lot of forces conspired to not have me talk because it was so... Nobody knew what would come out of my mouth. I had to have hard conversations with people. I had to make amends with people. Um, my husband felt deceived. Like, what do you mean? You lied to me all those years that you were fine, everybody, you were happy. I said, well, I actually was. I thought I was happy and fine. You're lying to yourself. I didn't right? know what I didn't know. But then when I did know, I, it was my responsibility to heal it, not his, not anyone else's. So it, the miracle that I can say I have now is I have a process when I go back to my old way of shutting down and pretending that I see it. I see myself do it. Wow. And I say, it's okay. So you don't have to do yeah. that. Yeah, you don't have to. So the boundaries and the openness to being you. And I just honor and just to, just to kind of wind down and see if, is there anything you feel like is left unsaid that you'd like to make sure to convey to people? Any advice at this stage of life as they, you know, the kids left the nest or are about to leave and there's this big transition so anything, any kind of words of wisdom that you wish you knew before or, um, or what you've been working with people on that you think is maybe what's an obstacle for them, anything you want to discuss for the last few minutes? I would say wherever, wherever you are in your journey is exactly where you need to be. And even if you think it's the most wretched place or the most impossible place that you're in, um, that's the perfect place to begin. And, and it feels like that. So whenever you're feeling pain or discomfort, you can say to yourself, you know, change feels like this. And it's actually not a problem. Because our worry starts when we start to think it's a, whatever it is, it is, is a problem. Then the worries kicks in and we can say, you know what, this is how it feels to be in change. This is how it feels to do the, the work of transformation. And I can find the resources to 
help me on my journey. And do hard things. And do hard things. And that's another mantra. Like I say to myself, we know how to do hard things. I can. This was so valuable. And I'm and I feel like there's a lot of things people can take from this. And I hope you will. Uh, is there a book or resources, places to start that you would want to tell people maybe? I mean, I know we all love Pima Chodron about a lot of her books. Yeah, I would say Pema uh, Chodron, but, yeah. uh, a wonderful lecture is called Getting Unstuck. And um, you can get download the audio of that. And also anything by Tara Brock. So Tara Brock has a whole library of videos, meditations, talks, and also, um, you know, if anyone would like to reach out to me, uh, they can do that through you. Good. Yes. Email me and I will connect you to Kayla. So thank you so much for this time, my dear friend. And I only wish you continued blessings in your life and, and the ability to do the hard things and go through them, just through them, through them, through them. Thank you. Well, before we summarize this week's episode, here's a preview of our next episode with mother and daughter, Revy and Michelle. I just, I'm just so proud of my mom, how it went, the mentality went from wanting to fix to learning how helping can look very different and being able to ask uh, first is something that also it felt like you're when you when you ask mom you know when you ask me you know do you want me to listen or do you want my advice or like what can I do you're also allowing me to practice my own autonomy and that's a big that's a big piece too that I want to highlight which also has helped um, and shows me too, because we were very enmeshed <laughs> together. We definitely had like a codependent relationship with one another. Tessa, there's a lot to be learned from Kayla. I, you know, you were so lucky to have her in your class and really learn mindfulness with her and see how she continued to develop her, uh, really, her mindfulness practice, which is really a practice that one need to be engaging on a continuous basis. I know I try personally to get mindful as much as I can, and you keep on preaching that to me, and I'm making very, very slow progress, I have to admit. You know, but what you resist will persist, and that is such such an important lesson from this episode. And uh, I worry. I worry a lot, and <laughs> uh, I, I got some good techniques how to deal with that worry. Well, the idea that that I, I I try not to preach because by now I just try to serve as an example, and I don't think I ask you to meditate anymore. It's really your choice, and exactly. I know you you find a lot of your outlets in your music, and that's and and I've kind of that's not my job. I have my own life to be mindful about, and yet the only thing I can say to any of our listeners who want to consider mindfulness and want to consider more a, be, a little better on their emotional reg regulation to be able to be with uncertainty you know this idea of that discomfort does feel like this because change feels like this change feels uncomfortable and so we've learned in this world that uncertainty is a big part of our world and and knowing how to beginning to practice staying with that and then we can like like I do love what what Kayla's talking about 
add nurturance, add love, add playfulness to it so that we don't take ourselves so darn seriously. Well, I agree. Mindfulness is a way of life. And I wish, I really wish that I would have practiced it more when I was younger in Act 1 or Act 2 so I can carry it into Act 3. So if there's people that are listening right now... and Sorry, uh, it's never too late. I'm not accepting that yet I, as an I, excuse. I agree. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, not, it's not too late. I'm just saying I wish I started earlier today. And I, what I was about to say, that if there's anyone out there that is listening or he's a, uh, what we call um, an open-ester dreamer that wants to know how to enter Act 3 in the open-esting stage, you know, being mindful as you enter that stage can really, really make a lot of difference in it. Well, the time that we have right now, and I know that you don't have as much time as I do, and so I never want to place blame anywhere. I just hope to inspire with the idea that these people we bring on, and we can become elders that are much more spiritual. And when we ground ourselves and align ourselves more with acceptance, our lives about being are going to be richer and more fulfilling. So it's it's not really it's not an overnight fix. It's no, not it's, it's not, not it's not it's not, not. It's not I'm going to learn it and it's over. It, it's, it's a, a journey, it's a, and I don't arrive there. It's a way of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we really thank you for listening. And if you would like to leave us a comment on our website, it is theopennesters.com. That's double N in the middle, S at the end. We would love to hear from you, love to hear your comments. And we'd love you to share this episode if it's meaningful to you and other episodes to with your friends to build the community of people who are looking at their lives anew with new eyes, new vitality, and maybe more mindfulness. And please get on our Facebook, closed Facebook page, our social media, and definitely be part of our community, our growing community, as we have more and more listeners for this. We thank you. Incredible growth in our podcast. Absolutely. I echo that, Tessa, quite a bit. Until next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. We will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.